you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. How difficult is it to write and publish a book? You've heard of guerrilla warfare, but what is guerrilla marketing? Do you need to have a college education to write a book? Listen in for the surprising answers in today's podcast. Hey there, Innovation Nation. I am thoroughly enjoying the warmer weather. Our little orchard out back is beginning to come to life. I love seeing the fruit growing in our apple, peach, pear, and apricot trees. It reminds me of the growth and excitement we experience every summer in our Inventors Boot Camps. I get really excited about Inventors Boot Camp because there's so much growth and creativity and excitement as the students build crazy engineering contraptions with 3D printers and wire them up with a little electronic trickery and programming prowess. The amount of creativity, confidence, curiosity, and deep thinking of the students in these summer camps is almost unbelievable. To find out more, visit www.ttinvent.com forward slash boot camp now, all one word, B-O-O-T-C-A-M-P-N-O-W. Or you can just visit ttinvent.com and click the Inventors Boot Camp button. Today, our guest is the founder of a game-changing book publishing company, David Hancock. Morgan James Publishing is revolutionizing the way authors interact with their publisher. Publishing has never been easier, and no company has ever worked this hard to help authors succeed. Our guest today is David Hancock. David is the founder of Morgan James Publishing and chairman of Guerrilla Marketing International. He has also co-authored 12 books, including Guerrilla Marketing for Writers, The Entrepreneur, Author, and Performance-Driven Thinking. And according to NASDAQ, uh, David is one of the world's most prestigious business leaders and is reported to be the future of publishing. Uh, That's very exciting to me, and we'll dive into that a little bit. Uh, David also serves on the executive board for Habitat for Humanity in the Peninsula and Greater Williamsburg area and is chairman of the board of the National Center for Prevention of Community Violence. David, why don't you tell us a little more about yourself? Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. What a privilege it is to be here. Well, the reality is I'm just a very passionate entrepreneur who has found something, a secret, if you will, that I've been able to help others reach their goals by this neat little edge I call the power of a book. And uh, that's kind of a, the big picture of who I am. And I'm certainly having a lot of fun sharing that passion. How did you get into this, actually? Is, is there a backstory? Oh my gosh, there's always a backstory. And I'll tell you what, with mine, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> but I'll give you the short version. So I was a banker back in the 90s before I was a publisher. I was a mortgage guy. And I was really doing well. I was fat, dumb, and happy and had nothing to complain about. But I, like many entrepreneurs, even though I was working as an employee, I received more benefit, more money, more opportunity because the harder I worked, the more opportunities I created for myself. So I was kind of like an independent entrepreneur, even though I had a paycheck or a regular paycheck. 
but I discovered that I needed to be different to be successful, and, and different in a good way. And I realized early on that my unlimited ad budget at the time didn't work as well as whatever I was already doing. I was creating value and creating relationships and trying to serve others, I mean, just as a high level. And it was working, but I became very hungry to figure out what could I do to do more? How could I reach more people, earn more money, work less, you know, work smarter? Yeah, you know, every question any entrepreneur could ask himself. So I started to, to seek out. I started to seek out the education. So if there was a seminar, I went to it. If there's a book, I read it. If there's a home study course, I took it. And all of it worked. Now, this is a short version, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but all of it worked. Uh, but none of it really worked. If that makes sense. I mean, I, I literally, I fine-tuned some processes. I hired a couple assistants. I, you know, created some additional opportunities. And it, it worked a little bit. I earned a little bit more money. I went home from work a little earlier. Or, you know, I was a little, you know, busier. I mean, it, just, it just didn't give me that bolster in my career that I was really looking for. And I don't think I really knew what I was looking for. But it wasn't until I discovered a book called Guerrilla Marketing. And Guerrilla Marketing is what changed my life. And it's actually how I became a publisher in the first place. But the reality was I found guerrilla marketing. And, and when I discovered it, it was already in its third edition. I had never heard of it before. I never heard of the author, Jay Levinson, never heard of the concept of doing unconventional things to get conventional goals, although that's what I was doing. But I really resonated with the book. And I realized, wow, I'm a guerrilla and just didn't know it. I was leveraging my time, my energy, my imagination instead of the bank's unlimited ad budget or bank accounts to get things done. And it was working. So I really resonated with the book. So I did a deep dive in guerrilla marketing. If I could find anything with the words guerrilla or marketing in it, I bought it. I, I ate it. I slept it. I drank it. I read it. I you know, listened to it, whatever it was. And I ended up creating or getting an opportunity to create a relationship with the author. In fact, one of his books, he said, hey, if you need help, reach out and hire me as a coach. So I did. And in it, he basically told me that I was doing all the right things, but I needed to add one more thing. In fact, he tortured me, if I, if I can if bear with me just for a second. He said, David, if you wanted to charge more and negotiate less, but duh, who doesn't? He says, you need to keep doing what you're doing, but you need to add one more thing. I'm like, sign me up. But he didn't tell me yet. So he went on to say, well, David, if you wanted to have the people that would never give you the time of day start begging to get on your calendar to do business with you, you've got to keep doing what you're doing, but add one more thing. And I'm like on the edge of my seat. And he said, finally, he said, David, if you wanted the media to call you when something happened in your space, you've got to keep doing what you're doing, but you need to add one more thing. And like this time, I'm about to strangle him. I'm like, what is it? Tell me. He said, you need to write a book. And I literally laughed out loud. I hope I wasn't too dis disrespectful, but I literally, I was like, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. But he lovingly, you know, slowed me down and helped me realize, well, all these seminars that I've been going to were all based on books. Duh. All these Home study courses I've been taking were based on books, and all these books I was reading, well, there were books too. So it finally hit me like a ton of books. Ooh, <laughs> but, but it, it really it did kind of hit me at that point. It's like, well, yeah, that that makes sense. And of course, this guy was making a lot more money than me and has more opportunities than me, so I thought I should probably listen to him. So he inspired me to write a book based on you know, the, my take on, on what was going on in the banking industry and how I could serve. And my clients were other bankers, so it was actually pretty easy to try to help them do better. If they did better, I'd do better. We all make more money. We'd all be happy. So I ended up getting a book written, which I didn't realize was a hard thing to do. Very blessed. And I ended up getting it published. Also, didn't it ended up not being a hard thing to do. I had no idea. But it worked. It literally worked. Seriously, I was a successful hustler yesterday. And the next day, I was a recognized authority with a book, and I doubled my income. It was laughable. The only thing I did different was I was 
hustling yesterday and I'm hustling today, but the only thing different was I had a book to say that I was the authority. I was the recognized authority who the audience, whoever that might be, should be listening to. And sure enough, I raised all my fees, doubled all my fees, and stopped negotiating. People that would never give me the time of day were begging to get on my calendar, and many of them had to swallow my pride because, you know, oh, now you want to talk to me, but I, had to, I want to earn the money. <laughs> and then sure enough, local media would call me on a regular basis when something happened in the mortgage industry because I was the only person within the year range of uh, mortgage business who had written a book. It was amazing, but it was one of the worst experiences I had ever gone through. So I won't go through all the details, but it just wasn't a fun process. And then I ended up traditionally publishing two books, and it was they did well for me. The bank I was working for at the time ended up buying 40,000 copies, so it was really good. And then I self-published a couple books thinking I'd like a little bit more control, and a little bit more love, and nobody cared. So it just kind of realized, well, this book is a powerful tool, but I couldn't find a method that really served me as an entrepreneur who just wanted to leverage the book. I wasn't necessarily wanting to go out there and be a best-selling author or make a publisher money. I wanted to make me money. And then decided, you know, after a while with my wife's help, why don't we create a publishing house, named it after our kids, tried to build balance in from the start because I was just doing like crazy hours helping others get books published. And then about 2003, we ended up launching the company from an entrepreneurial focus. And that's kind of, I forget what the question was, Steve, but, but that's kind of how I got here so far. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I asked you how you ended up in publishing and you told us how you ended up in publishing. So let me ask a different kind of question. What was your educational experience like? You ended up in the Morgan industry. What did you do to learn how to be there? Uh, you know, what was your high school experience like? Tell us a little bit about your educational experience. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I'm, you kind of know where I'm going there. You notice I'm a huge fan of education. you got to be educated. I mean, you, you have to complete school. All you kids got there, complete school. Uh, but I, I literally, uh, I have a high school education. I have some college, but in high school, I only did what I needed to do to get by because I just didn't quite see the big picture. I was too busy in chasing balls and girls. So sports was, was, was my focus, and you know I married my high school sweetheart, so I was pretty occupied, so school was not important to me. But it wasn't until I got to college that I started to realize, hey, this is a benefit, because I was learning something in college, but actually using it in my day-to-day -day activity and, and the work that I was doing at the time, but just didn't have the passion to keep up with it, so I ended up dropping out. It wasn't until actually a couple years later that I actually had a, a back injury while working as a laborer at the local shipyard that I realized that uh, you know maybe I should start rethinking because now that I really can't do any skilled labor anymore, maybe I need to use my brain. But I still didn't get to a point where I, I really felt the need to finish it. It just wasn't for me. I just didn't I didn't resonate really well with that formal education. So I started to study everything else that could interest me. So I started to to read and I started to to, to do the online courses and I started to seek out other ways to grab some information. And, and you know, fast forward a few years is when I became a banker is when I really started to study more. I, I studied everything that I could to be a better banker. And I think that's pretty important in today's environment, especially with digital access. It's so easy. But I had to and I really wanted to. I wanted to go to the seminars. I wanted to hear about sales and marketing. I wanted to hear from industry experts. I wanted to learn what could I do to grow myself both personally and professionally. And I went to personal development courses and, and classes, and I, I really wanted to figure out how I could grow myself in that aspect. So I don't have any formal education. Even when I became a publisher, I, I read books to figure out what does that mean? <laughs> and I brought people around me that knew more about publishing than I ever, I'll ever forget to learn more about how I could be a publisher and, and took classes online and read books to make it you know, kind of fill in the gaps and then making it up as I go along. <laughs> So do you remember the first course 
that you bought after college and after this experience, you said you had a back injury. And do you remember the first course you got after that? I think the first course I took after I realized i got to make a change was, oh, this is funny. You're making me really tap into the brain cells. It was two short, short little paths that I ended up not following, but it, it got me start to thinking a little outside the box. I took a couple of air traffic control classes thinking I may, maybe I could be an air traffic controller and didn't like that at all. It was too hard for me. Uh, and then I took some computer design classes thinking maybe I could do some CAD design or, or you know, graphic design or something like that. And that was too hard for me. I just didn't, I couldn't keep up with it. But my first course that I took that actually started to really benefit me for long term that I'm still benefiting from today was probably a tie between because it happened about the same time as it was either Todd Duncan's class and it was mortgage specific. I can't remember what his class was, but he's still out there. He's still, he's an author. And then it was Tom Hopkins course. that I actually flew out to Charlottesville or Charlotte, North Carolina with a, with a friend of mine. And we took his three day seminar. Those two, the mortgage specific one and Tom Hopkins class really started me down that path of really eagerly wanting to figure out what I could learn, what more could I do, what more could I learn to help me that I'm still using today. So did you get into the mortgage industry first and then take the class, or did you take the class and say, wow, I, I think I'd like this? <laughs> no, I, I was in the mortgage industry first, then took the class. Yeah. I mean, I tell you, I, God does have a sense of humor. I got lots of neat little back histories of how I became a banker, which was totally because I didn't even like math. <laughs> and it's funny because I didn't even like books before I became a publisher, but I was forced to because it was helping me. <laughs> So because I'm a math guy, I'm curious now, <laughs> what's the backstory of getting into, into the mortgage business? Okay, so I was a builder, a home builder before I became a banker. Okay, so that's really kind of fun. So I ended up getting recruited by this real estate tycoon and ended up getting in the building business and worked my way up to being vice president of this real estate development company. But I found myself doing all the work of everybody because when you're in charge and you've got staff and you've got houses and you've got people's lives on hand, you really got to make sure it gets done. So I became involved in all the aspects of this real estate res, residential real estate development. So I was doing the work of a of a real estate agent to find pro- land to build on. I was doing the work of a project manager to make sure the the workers built the house properly. And I was doing the the job of the real estate agent trying to manage everything, and I was doing the job of the banker trying to make sure that everybody qualified and they can get it done and brought everybody to the table. Um, and after several years of that, my, my boss ended up getting thrown in jail for embezzlement. And I realized, <laughs> that one, I realized that the one piece that I really enjoyed was the interaction with the people and then the banking side. For whatever reason, just making the numbers work from the building to the costs and expenses to the profit margins to, to making sure that the, the deal worked. And yeah, I just enjoyed the numbers aspect from them because it was real. It was right in front of me. And every little changes I made had significant impacts, whether it was profit or loss. But I really enjoyed that aspect. So when that all crumbled, I called up a friend of mine who owned a small mortgage brokerage, uh, basically worked out of his garage. And I said, hey, give me a chance. Teach me the business. He did. And I just kind of grew up in the, in banking and ended up landing a good job with one of the national lenders. That's kind of how I got into banking. <laughs> interesting. So you've had this interesting circuitous path starting from high school and going through a little bit of college and ending up being a physical laborer and then getting into construction and in eventually into the, the mortgage business, which led you to guerrilla marketing, which led you to the publishing business. Um, That's right. I guess the question I have here is, you know, through that whole path, is there a common thread in that somewhere? Yeah, I think so. One of the common threads with me, which is still here today, was my passion. I get a lot of joy out of helping others. 
whether it's helping them achieve whatever goal they are. So building a house was rewarding because you could see something being completed. Even though I didn't have the – with my back, I couldn't actually build it myself, but I was able to see it to fruition. So that was very rewarding, and seeing someone's opportunity for home ownership was pretty powerful, serving them in that way. And then from a banking perspective, same thing. We were able to figure out ways to help them reach their goals by finding the right banking product or helping them with their finances to get to where they can afford that house or, or get their, their debt in line by structuring their, their business or their personal finances. So I really get a lot of joy out of that. So even today as a publisher, oh, in fact, what, part of what made me such a successful banker was my biggest passion was trying to help my clients grow their business. I literally knew more about their business than they did. I knew more about my competitors' products than my competitors did because I knew if I could be a great resource to help them grow their business, even if it wasn't a product I had as a banker, I had that relationship, I had that opportunity, I loved to serve them, and I became the go-to guy. But even today, my passion still comes from I know a secret about the power of a book that can transform a business perspective, person's you know, perspective and entrepreneur's perspective from this, this book. So I have the secret that I, I like to instill in others and help them do. And, and they reach their goals. They achieve, you know, high performance levels because of something that I've done or something that I can help them with. It's a blessing that I get paid for it, but it's also just a tremendous amount of joy and reward to just play a part in helping them get their success. So that's my, the thread that's come with me ever since I started to uh, think about, oh, crud, now what do I do? <laughs> So one of the things we mentioned in the beginning in the introduction was your connection to Habitat for Humanity. Is That that seems connected to all of this. It really is, yeah. In fact, I, I fell in love with Habitat when I was a builder, and, and I'm a big fan of homeownership. I bought my first house when I was 19. I've always been a fan of, of homeownerships and the opportunities and, and all the good things that happens with building community and whatnot. Uh, some people laugh at me now that we're, you know, we're a Habitat building partner. We donate a percentage of all of our proceeds to Habitat. We donate a library of books to Habitat. We put logos on our books so that people can you know, raise awareness of what they're doing. And people didn't quite get that connection with, well, publishing and building houses. What is that all about? But it's just really important to me, so they put up with me. But it's all about uh, you know, opportunity for me. But yeah, it is. It's it's still part of my giving back. I feel like I, you know, I, as a company, I have a responsibility to give back and help others. Same thing with you know my personal life, but that's kind of that thread. And for me, that's the charity that just made sense to me. And it's been really neat. We've even had some stories from our sales team and, and, and bookstore buyers saying, hey, we gave Morgan James as authors an opportunity when nobody knew who we were because they saw us building houses down the street from their, their bookstore. And they liked the fact that we were helping their community. Now, we weren't really building houses down the street from the bookstore, but Habitat was, and we were a Habitat partner. They made that association, so it really helped us. So we, we got a lot out of it just as much as they did. It was really neat to see how that all came together over the years. Now that you've you know, kind of had a chance to look back over your educational experience, do you have kids of your own? I've got two. Do you mind if we ask how old they are? <laughs> 13 and 16, and not surprisingly, their names are Morgan and James. <laughs> <laughs> As a parent now, you've had an opportunity to observe your kids getting an education. Have you noticed any differences between your experience um, being educated and their experience being educated? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think they both now at this point realize that their father – did not follow the college path and didn't go down that traditional route with education, but it really hasn't harmed their desire to do so. They they both have a desire to continue learning and go down the college path. My son is just brilliant. He's a genius, so he, he eagerly seeks the challenge, which I love. And my daughter is just so adept to sports. She's just such a, a incredible 
athletic person. And so she's seeking the college opportunity to, to continue with the sport. So they're doing it from different angles, but they really appreciate that it's worked for me, but they're not afraid to realize that if it doesn't work out for them, there's still an opportunity. There's still other ways to find opportunity. But the challenge of whether it's the sports aspect and continuing education or the just the continuing education is the challenge itself to my son is still there. And they're, they're both both very strong. We support them. We're encouraging them. We want them to go to college. We want to give them that opportunity. But we're certainly not going to force them or, or hold it against them if they decide not to. So now that we're kind of here in the middle of this, I'm going to bring up our, our left turn where we always take here in the middle. As you've watched the digital age come in with your kids, um, and I've watched the same thing because my kids are about the same age, what have you noticed about how the digital environment has affected what it means to be educated? Yeah, that's a really good question. Even though both of my kids prefer the physical textbooks over the electronic textbooks, they are voracious learners online, of course, with our supervision, but you know, experiments on YouTube. We watch uh, documentaries on on uh, on video or through you know through YouTube or through other channels. We're eagerly seeking and consuming educational content in different ways than I did when I was a kid. You know, it was for me it was encyclopedia or, or sitting next to an old person, which I'm still a big fan to learn. But for them, even though they don't quite see it, they don't see it as being different from you and I. It's it's the digital thing has transformed our lives. We can have access to anything that we need to know pretty quick and it'd be pretty easy to consume and pretty easy to digest and, and find alternative sources for the same content. It's amazing the resources and the reach that we can have uh, just taking the daggone phone out of our pocket. It's amazing. So looking at all of the tools that are out there, uh, YouTube, Wikipedia, Google, and a, a plethora of other tools out there, how do you feel that, I'm not asking you to pull data out of your pocket on this one, but looking at your kids and the kids that you know and, you know, the school systems, et cetera, do you think we're taking full advantage of that information that's out there? Yeah, I don't think we are. And not from a formal perspective. I think the formal education process is not as good as it could be because times are changing so fast and it is pretty expensive to do massive changes in the way that we that we learn. But I don't think we really are. I think it's so easy to, to put stuff up there. I don't think that we're taking the full advantage of it. And we may not ever be able to take full advantage of what's available to us. It's just amazing that it's there and that most of it's free. Uh, of course, I'm not afraid to pay for something if I can get what I'm looking for, maybe sometimes clearer or concise or without the interruptions. I'm a huge fan of it, and I don't think we're taking full advantage of it. And the kids today don't realize you know, that opportunity because it's always been there for them, but I don't think we're taking advantage of it. And we, like I said, we may not ever be able to take full advantage of it, but it's really interesting to watch. I mean, I dropped out of computers in, in high school. I just <laughs> never saw the benefit. <laughs> <laughs> I was... As you were talking, it, something occurred to me. If, as you think back through the experiences that your kids have had in education, is there one that stands out to you as an amazing aha experience uh, for one or both of them? I don't know if I can think of one one example, but it's funny. Some of the projects that we have to do with the kids that involve some sort of research online, because you know, when when I was in school, we did projects. But it was basically here's a book, here's a worksheet, and we just did whatever it said. We didn't have to do a whole lot of learning. Today, it's like, in fact, we just did a project with my daughter. So we had to build a, a rocket ship out of a, some sort of plastic bottle and use vinegar and, and baking soda. Well, the teacher gave very little insight on what we could do or what it should look like or how to actually make it or even really what ratio and all that kind of fun stuff. So we had to deep dive into Wikipedia, the web, and try to find out well, what would be the, the right way to do it. So I, I think if the parents are taking advantage of this opportunity, 
the, the neat thing about today's environment, the digital environment, and our kids, it's really could bring us together. We, She and I had an absolute great time not only discovering what type and size of bottle, what type and size of plastic might be good for the bottle, the ratio of uh, baking soda and vinegar, whether or not to weigh it down with fancy things to make it look good or, or just keep it nice and simple. We had a really good time finding and, and deciphering online together and coming up with our own theories between what we we're looking for. We, we were able to spend a lot of good quality time together. I mean, I hated it going into it, but coming out, it was like, wow, that was awesome. I don't want to do it again. No, I really do. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was easy. It was convenient and it was relatively quick. But we had that time together to really deep dive into the digital age to figure out ways to build a small little rocket ship. And then we had a chance to videotape it and build a web page for it and send it up to her teacher. And we hope she gets an A. Or we hope I get an A. I mean, we hope she gets an A. <laughs> so with this, yeah, I, listening to you talk about that story, I've actually had uh, similar experiences with my, with my kids where it's just so much fun to watch the light bulb coming on for them. And we're sort of learning along the way as they're learning. And it, it is a lot of fun. With this perspective all the way back, what do you think is the purpose of an education? Dude, that is such a good question. And yes, I did call you dude. Dude, that is a <laughs> really good question. The purpose of education for me has become what I'm getting ready to tell you. It wasn't necessarily what I thought the purpose of education was, even in my early days. But today, right now, sitting here, the purpose of education is to teach us and our kids and you and those around us to love learning. Because we never can stop learning. The moment we stop seeking out different ways to learn new things and, and do things, I think we're going to die. I mean, I think we're just, you know, we might as well just retire and give up and go ahead and start digging your own grave. Because the real purpose of education is to teach us that there's always something to learn. And the more that we can learn, the better we can do, the more opportunities we can create, the smarter we can get, you know, the broader our horizons can get, the more opportunities can be created, the more relationships can be found. So my definition of the purpose of education is to continue to passionately love learning. I love it. I'm going to have to take that and turn that into a soundbite and put it on our website somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> We're certainly big fans of loving learning. We, we spend a lot of time thinking about that with our kids. You know, How do we foster that fine line between working hard and loving what you're doing? Because sometimes it's the working hard that actually draw, actually makes that love of learning grow more. But it's hard to see that in the beginning, particularly as a teenager. Maybe that sounds boring or irritating or whatever. But now the truth is, as I've watched my own kids growing through this process, when they put a lot of effort into something and they, they go in and they spend the effort to do the learning and the educating themselves, they love the project at the end much more than if they had just been given the answer uh, because then it's just kind of meh. I don't know that that was, yeah, meh. <laughs> <laughs> it's but true. That was said very very well, David. And uh, I don't think we could end much more clearly than that. So maybe we'll just wrap this up, and I'll ask you what's the best way for our audience to get in touch with you. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And I really have enjoyed this. Uh, really, I'm, I'm easy to find. I'm on Twitter, probably the best way, at David Hancock. I look forward to getting those new relationships. And if there's anything I can do to help your audience, I'd be happy to. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, David. I'm going to have a lot of fun processing through this at the end. Um, <laughs> Excellent. If you've been enjoying the conversations and insights here on the podcast, share it with a friend. Great ideas demand to be shared. You can also help fellow parents and educators by subscribing to the Tabletop Inventing podcast in iTunes, leaving a rating, and writing a review. 
If you use Android, subscribe, leave us a rating, and write a review in Stitcher. Links to subscribe can be found at www.ttinvent.com podcast. Contact us, and we'll think through the comments and answer your questions here in the podcast. And be sure to let us know if you'd like a shout-out or to remain anonymous. You can share your comments and questions at www.ttinvent.com podcast or by emailing us at podcast at ttinvent.com. Let's discuss your thoughts and questions. Join us again next time when we will again seek to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education? And as educators, how do we awaken the inventor in each of our students? Thank you.